if you work really hard and you're talented, you're going to be successful in the end. And it might take you five years, it might take you 10 years, it might take you two years, I don't know. It just, you can't compare yourself to anybody else and your, your journey is not gonna be the same as someone else's. So I think the one thing we all tend to do and really need to work to not do is compare yourself to others. Just don't do it because you're not that other person. That person's not you. And thank God. Katie, Katie, let it out with Katie. Let it out with Katie. Dip out enthusiast and curator of people and ideas. You need to hear Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Delbout. I'm going to keep this intro rather short because the episode is rather long and it's super good. It's with Andre Vermeulen. She is an actress. She's a comedian. She's an improviser. She's a rapper. She's in Angie Tribeca. She's so talented. She's so wise. She is just really cool. We talk about body image, we talk about food, we talk about she's an intuitive eater, she's also a tea and meditator, she's also an only child, she also has the most adorable dog, Archie, and she actually is adopting a dog, or at least fostering a dog this weekend. Anyway, we've become great friends since we recorded this episode. I'm just so glad I met her. We have so much in common, and she's so wise and kind, and just one of those people I I just want to be around. I feel like she's this cooler, older sister I just want to glean wisdom from, and I admire a lot, and I think you will too after you hear this episode She's way cool. Follow her on all of the social media. Check out the next season of Angie Tribeca and just you're you're gonna see. She's so cool. We talk about relationships. She had so much wise advice around that. We talk about creativity and comedy and acting and like I said, a lot around body image and intuitive eating. She's just really, really rad. And I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Also, I'm recording this intro very late. I'm a little bit half asleep, but that's really all I have to say about it. Let's get right into it. But first, thank you to FreshBooks because they are sponsoring this episode and we love them in this family, right? You know, we're always juggling a million things and trying to stay on top of your finances is something that's so important, but so challenging. But it's important because... It makes room for more abundance in your life if you focus and you take care of the abundance you already have. So with tax season right around the corner, FreshBooks is it. It is what you need. You can even personalize your colors, which I love. It makes making payments simple if you're a small business. If you're just doing this for your own personal finances, it's just really great. Outsource the stuff that you don't like to FreshBooks, and it's the financial assistant you have been waiting for. Things that I love that you can do with FreshBooks, it takes credit card payments, invoices, just at a click of a button. The support, if you ever need them, is really fantastic. Easy expense tracking for taxes. You can just take photos of your receipts. Just it it's fantastic. Everyone should try it. There's really easy reports you can print out, like your PL and a bunch more. It's great. Do you want to try it? 
I think you should. You should get a free 30-day trial, unrestricted 30-day trial, by going to freshbooks.com slash let it out, freshbooks.com slash let it out, the name of this podcast, and make sure you enter the code let it out, let it out, that's the code, in the how did you hear about us section. So that would be really cool of you. Anyway, I love you guys so much. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Andre as much as I do. I know you will. And tweet at both of us and let us know what you think. I'm going to tell you at the end of the episode what the emoji is for this episode. But also join the Facebook crew. It's growing. It's great in there. A lot of good energy, good vibes. I'm, I'm really enjoying the Facebook group lately. So get into that. Also, my email list um, is just a cool letter if you want to be on it. That would be cool. I send it out, you know, every month or so, every, you know, whenever I'm inspired, really, I, I'll write something and, and send it off. It's just this nice little private community that I really enjoy. Anyway, love you guys. If you want to support the podcast, check out FreshBooks. And also, you can just leave a review, leave a rating, share it with a friend. That also helps so much. This is my favorite thing that I do. My favorite, favorite thing that I do. And you know, I do a bunch of different things. This is my favorite though. So I really want to be able to keep doing it. So supporting the show by sharing it is so helpful. Anyway, I love you guys. And I will talk to you at the end of the episode. excited to talk to you all week and I've been spending a lot of time with you actually because I've been like listening to you on other podcasts and it's been lovely and anyway I'm so excited to have this conversation you're one of my favorite people to follow on social media because you really hit all of my notes like you like good food and you're super funny and you have a cute dog it's like all the things I love in one person <laughs> Aw, thanks um well, okay, one thing I like to start with is what are you most excited about today, this week, this month? What is something you've been learning? Just something that you've been kind of telling people or like a funny thing that happened? Anything like really present for you? Um, I think, uh, I don't know how much I've ever talked about this, but the thing I'm most excited about about exactly right now is something that I do every year. Um, I do this thing called The Lotus and the Lily, and it's a book. It's a 30-day kind of soul journey, which sounds very crunchy already, but (laughs) it's, it's kind of like guided, um, deep soul writing. So it's got, I'll, I mean, I'll warn anybody who feels really repelled by the name Jesus or Buddha, as I was when I first started doing it. It's totally not, it's not like a religious thing, don't worry. But um, this woman, Janet Connor, wrote this book, and she was looking at the teachings of Jesus and Buddha, and they're actually very similar. If you just actually look at what Jesus said it's interesting it's interesting how religions have kind of twisted things to kind of fit certain agendas that are more in line with their beliefs but if you take the actual writing and the actual words they were pretty in line with Buddhist beliefs and in a nutshell you know Buddha said that abundance occurs when the conditions are fertile so in other words if you want abundance in your life, 
let's say you want you know more luck in your career or in love and you know just in life in general you need to sort of till your own personal soil to use a metaphor in order for things to grow so this book sort of uh, guides you through that and there are I think there's like three or four weeks I guess it's 30 days and you know each day there's a certain topic and you read it and then you write afterwards and you you know you can do an ebook but there is definitely something to writing physically with a pen on paper so even if you do an ebook that's fine but i wouldn't recommend typing if if you're going to do something like this there's something that happens like if you can do that kind of free form train of thought just like where you're just writing and you I don't know. It's like your your pen is just like moving across the page. You're yeah. barely thinking about it and all these words are f- just kind of flowing out of you. And I've had so many sort of light bulb moments through this whole process. And I've done it for three years now. And it's interesting how it changes each year because I was thinking, you know, oh, I don't need to do this again. I've done this. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really great lesson in working on ourselves I think not only can we bring much more abundance to our own lives but we're of much greater service to other people and especially in a time like now where (sighs) the climate feels really kind of aggravated and everybody is sort of you know communication is definitely more important than ever and our time and our caring and our compassion is is definitely more important than ever but we can't really help people to the best of our ability unless we are taking care of ourselves and we are our best selves as well so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like this you know you kind of you have to you have to fill your cup before you can fill somebody else's yeah and you can just bring so much more to the table when you do that and and when you when you have worked on yourself and you are truly aware of whatever your issues are your triggers are then when you're helping another person you're able to help them from a much kind of um what's the word like a more of a grounded place and there's less of your own interference. You can hear them more clearly. It's like if you were, if someone really needs your help and you're trying to listen to them, if you have too much of your own personal baggage going on, it's not your fault, but it, it exists constantly like a, almost like a radio static. Mm-hmm. That's, it's like, and then you can't hear what the other person's saying as clearly because the static is always kind of in the background. But when you work on yourself and you're, and you're really doing that work to kind of address whatever issues you may have, it just kind of gets rid of all of that so you can actually hear the conversation and not make it about yourself (laughs) and really really help that person. Yeah, oh my goodness. I love so much of everything you said. That book sounds right up my alley, first of all. I I had a book come out last year, and it, it was was is called let it out and it's about journaling and it's 55 journaling exercises so i'm so into doing things 
that kind of I say in the book like it skims the pond like the pond scum yeah. off the top of the, your mind to get to like the clear thought forms underneath and it's kind of like you, what you were saying of like if you can kind of skim some of that you get to that good place inside you that's the same in you and me and everyone and when we're communicating from that place it's so much more powerful and authentic and real and anyway and I totally relate to what you said about actually hand physically writing rather than typing and I, I write a lot and like journal a lot and sometimes on the computer, but there's something so powerful about handwriting because I think, you know, if you like look at a computer screen from like two feet away, you it could say like the same thing for all you know. But if you look at like a handwritten piece of paper from two feet away, like you can see the emotion in it of like how dark it is yeah. or like how it crossed off it is. So anyway, I just, I think that's so cool. Have you always been... I was going to ask you about this anyway, but have you always been someone um, who journals and writes? Have you ever done, like, morning pages or the artist way? Or has that been something that's a way that you get to know yourself and, like, do self-inquiry for a long time? Or is that more recent? No, I'd, I'd say just in the last, like, three years. I I had never done morning pages. I had never journaled. I have been in more therapy than I can even imagine. I don't know how many years. I've like finally reached a point where my therapist is like, now you have all the tools, you've done so much work. You we're like weaning off of therapy because she <laughs> guess like you there reached you can reach a point. I didn't even know this was possible, but I guess you can reach a point where you don't need the therapy so much unless there's like an issue. Um and then I guess it's important to kind of like know that you actually can exist and use your tools out in the world without without a crutch, I guess. Mm. Um, but she had been asking me or, or suggesting that I journal for years and I always kind of like rolled my eyes at it and thinking like, I don't wanna, because in my mind I was like, it's like a diary, like dear diary, <laughs> Joseph yeah. looked in a weird way and it's like that's what I was thinking that it was which it's totally not what it is for me now and so that's why I think you know so the first time I really started journaling like this was with the lotus and the lily and I'd say the first year that I did it I probably you know I did it throughout the 30 days and then I didn't continue and that's okay um and then I did it a second year and I think I kind of would journal on and off and this is the third year I've been doing it and now as a part of my sort of morning ritual which is one of the things she actually has you create is a daily ritual um, I every single morning I you know I have my tea and I light a candle and I um, do my morning affirmations you know like I, especially things that I need to remind myself of, like, you know, if someone says something unkind, it has nothing to do with me, stuff like that. And, um, and then I, and then I journal and, you know, when you aren't following a book that guides you sort of on what to write for that day, I think that is when it gets a little more challenging and and I imagine that's why I dropped off in the past but 
then I just start with like, you know, what do I need to know today? What am I going to write? I, I literally will write, I don't know what to write today. <laughs> but then it just like, you know, it does start to flow out. And I've had so many really interesting light bulb moments where it's like your true inner self really does come out on the page and gives you these gifts you know your very best self yeah really comes out when you just allow yourself to freely write like that and it doesn't even matter if the if it's legible who cares you know it's i have the worst handwriting ever and it's it just sometimes looks like i don't know it just looks like wave scribbles but it it doesn't really matter if you can like go back and perfectly read it it's just that it that you know it's a way to sort of work things out every day yeah i find for me i don't know what i'm thinking or feeling unless i'm writing like you know yeah. people ask us all the time how are you doing or how are you feeling and I never really do the self-inquiry unless I'm writing. Even if I'm thinking, it, it almost like legitimizes what emotions I'm having when I write them down, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it just hel it's helped me so much. It's been a tool for me to get to know myself better. And um, I think self-awareness is kind of key to creativity and relationships and everything, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a really beautiful way to, to um, I don't know, there's like, you know, whatever issues you're working through, it, it's for me allowed me to come from a place of like, whatever my issues are, or I don't know, my insecurities are, I'm not ashamed of them in any way. I feel like we have a society where you know it it we feel embarrassed sometimes of our of our hang-ups or our insecurities when really there's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed of it's it's an acceptance of yourself truly and completely with every perfection and imperfection and knowing that each of those imperfections create the person who you are and you know acknowledging them and loving them is actually the way to help kind of quiet them yeah exactly i think that's kind of speaking to acceptance mhm mm do you also yeah. meditate? Is that part of your practice too? I do meditate. Um, I just started last year. I had tried to do, you know, uh, I had tried to do a few different types and I was, you know, trying to do that Deepak and Oprah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the 21 program. day thing. Yeah, which that's really nice. But I personally, I don't know, I just wasn't... Um, didn't feel completely for me and I eventually just went and did the transcendental meditation course me too I did it last year too yeah they had a sale <laughs> <laughs> sure why not um yeah so I started doing that maybe in like 
July of last year, I think. And yes, that's what I do. So I meditate twice a day, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And, 22 and a half. <laughs> yeah, 20, 22, 23 minutes. And um, that's made a huge difference. Uh, you know, not only just like personality and stress, but um, I had had no idea for years and years and years I had um, a thyroid problem I was hypothyroid and I I think it's probably been like I don't know eight years or so because I remember you know I used to live in New York and I remember being there and having all of these symptoms that I just didn't know what they were like I was pretty lethargic and my body would just randomly swell up for no reason um, I had like prescription compression tights at one point. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> my legs would be so swollen, especially, you know, I waited tables and I would, you know, sometimes you work like a 12 hour day. And um, I, I don't know, I just had all these symptoms and everyone kind of didn't know what that was. And I was like, all right. And then I'd say like, uh, I guess a little over a year ago, um, I had, this is, it's always so funny, it's like way too much information at once, but I I had had breast implants that I was kind of talked into um, in a sort of unhealthy relationship, which, you know, I just recently opened up about. I felt so much sort of like shame about it and whatnot, but I you know, through working uh, on myself and whatnot, I was like, this is the last piece that is so, it's just got to go. This is not, you know, I was at a time where I realized that I really didn't love myself enough. And so in this relationship, this other person was able to pretty much convince me that my own breasts were not adequate and that they needed to be bigger. And I think it's really important that, you know, it's not about blaming that guy who I'm sure has his and had his own issues that, you know, if somebody is so intent on making you feel insecure, it's because they also feel insecure. So I also feel like, you know, he was dealing with his own stuff that unfortunately came my way. But if I had a truly loving relationship with myself I would have been like I would have been like go fuck yourself (laughs) my breasts are amazing yeah Um, but I was in such a place where I I didn't love myself enough and I believed you know like oh I thought yes my body is inadequate I need to fix it and I had gotten these implants and then I hated them and I, you know, and I, I want to also be very careful not to, I really don't like when people shame women for, for implants or plastic surgery. I think it's. Yeah. Or anything. <laughs> anything. It's like, I feel like I'm all over the place right now, but it's just really, I, it just is a crazy time where we have this movement of feminism, but like sort of, it's like feminism so long as you're not threatening to me, then it's like, I support, I support women unless they're threatening to me. Yeah. 
<laughs> then I don't. Then um, I'm like yeah. really mean to them, and I and I talk about them. Um, so I definitely want to make sure that uh, anyone listening understands that I'm. I don't feel like every woman who has breast implants are bad or shameful or or that they don't love themselves. Everyone's different, and they have different reasons. But I personally didn't make that decision from a place of empowerment. And then when I, you know, did all this work on myself that, you know, years and years later, I was like, this is the last piece to getting myself back, my mm -hmm. true self. And I made the decision to take them out. And then that surgery, you know, it's so stressful on your body. And I didn't know that I had this thyroid problem and then afterwards my thyroid was like off the charts high because of the level of stress that my body went through oh my and goodness. I will wrap this back to TM so the <laughs> amazing thing was that so your thyroid should be like between zero and two you know everybody's different but um, my thyroid was at nine just to give you an idea, it's just like crazy high. And I had just started TM and I had just found out that my thyroid was at nine. And uh, for some reason I couldn't get a doctor's appointment for like two weeks. So I didn't have any medication or anything. And I was doing the TM and two weeks after doing TM, they did another test and the thyroid had dropped to 5.6. And that was wow. just medication. Wow. So that's like a very tangible scientific uh, example of yeah. good meditation is for your body. You know, they and I know they haven't done this with all types, but I know with TM they've actually hooked people up to machines and they see what happens with the brain when you're in that meditative state. And, you know, they've shown that, as you know, that there's you know, the cell renewal and, and the healing properties are kind of increased when you're in that meditative state. Oh, that's um, way cool. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But for me personally, I was like, wow, my thyroid dropping from 9 to 5.6 on nothing but meditation is pretty crazy. And, you know, in the end, it saved me having to take really strong medication, you know, because the higher the thyroid number, the stronger the medication I would have had to be on. Yeah. Um, so that was like really cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually works. Those tangible stories are so cool. I had how I actually got into doing it myself is two years ago I had Bob Roth from the David Lynch Foundation on the podcast and he, we ended up connecting, and he happened to live right where I live now. He used to live in Detroit, which is just crazy. And then um, he gifted me getting trained to, or taught meditation, which was huge and, and life-changing. And I don't know if every teacher tell if this is, like, part of the script or whatever, or if my, like, lady went off book, but she told me this thing that uh, maybe your teacher told you this too, that she – there was this person that she knew personally who 
was doing some sort of study and they went in and did just what you said where they hooked up her brain to get tested um, while she was meditating. And so she went in the first day of the study and did her 20-minute TM and she, like, you know, had this, like, blissful time and left and that was that. And then she goes back the next day and does the meditation, but she was super antsy and she was thinking a lot of thoughts and just, like, kept forgetting the mantra, like, just or not going back to the mantra and just, like, wasn't as a good you know, judging, that's judging, but wasn't as pleasurable of an experience as the day before. And so she, like, looks at the people conducting the study, and she's like, hey, I mean, look, can you not count that one? I was, like, feeling kind of weird. Can I just, like, redo it? And they were like, we absolutely cannot. That's, like, the whole point of a study. And yeah. <laughs> and she was like, okay, okay, whatever. So then what happened when they, like, got the results of the study was that both days had the exact same stress-relieving results on the brain. Yeah. And I love that was like a watershed moment for me because I was so in my head about like, oh, but, you know, during those 20 minutes, is it a waste of time? Because I keep thinking thoughts and I keep, you know, getting off of the mantra and blah, blah, blah. But every time when I do that, and I start to be hard on myself. I'm just like, it's still working. It's OK. It's still working. Yeah. You're still getting the stress relieving benefits. And my teacher said it was at it's actually a stress leaving your body when you have a thought. Yeah. So. Thoughts are the byproduct of stress. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me feel. That's why I like it because you – I feel like in the past when I've tried to do different types of meditation and I'm sure that this isn't all types but – and maybe I was just approaching it incorrectly but I was like trying not to think and, mm -hmm. you know, and then that makes you think more. I forget there's like a saying or it's like, you know, try not to think about a huge elephant in the yeah. room and then yeah. that's all you can think about. Exactly. Oh, so it's like trying not to think – makes you think more but if you just can let go of like whatever happens when I'm sitting here meditating is all fine and it's working and it doesn't have to be this idea of perfect that I've created in my mind and whatever happens is actually its own perfect and that's I think that's why I've stuck with it and I have noticed it definitely helps my mood. I mean, I, I, I generally am a very kind of bubbly person anyway, but I mean, I'm a human being. I have, <laughs> I have bad moods and I have, you know, especially lately I, I went off of birth control and I'm like, it's finally leveling out, but I'm like, good Lord, hormones are no joke. Yeah. They really affect your mood. So the meditation is really on top of, you know, all the other benefits. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Thank yeah. you. Thank you that I have this thing to sort of chill me out because, yeah. Yeah, I like the structure of it, too, because like you were saying with, I'd, you know, I'd been doing kundalini meditations and just kind of dabbling and all sorts of things, but I'm a very disciplined person, and so I think having the structure of, morning and night and it's just this thing I do and it's 20 minutes and just do it like it it kind of helped me to actually have that tool you know yeah I'm also a very disciplined person and I feel like I do like the schedule of it but then also I think it's great if you are a disciplined person because sometimes you know with a different type of meditation where there are you sort of need your all of the 
I don't know, the environment to be right and everything has to be perfect. And then it's like, well, then I'm not going to do it at all because I can't get all of these elements exactly right of like how I'm supposed to be doing this. Yes. So I'm just not going to do it at all. But with the TM, you know, you can be in an airport. I've been in a car with other people. Oh, yeah. I've been at a picnic table in a park and, you know, my boyfriend's gotten really good at being like, oh, Joy is meditating. So if you talk to her, she's not going to answer you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, I'll just like do it wherever. Yeah, we got to normalize it like breastfeeding. Yeah. I want to get a little sign that hangs around my neck that says like meditating. Yeah. I've been on set and if I'm, that's the one place if I'm sitting in my chair and I'm like not in the scene, people think I'm just like resting. So they'll straight up come over to me and try and talk to me. And I felt really bad one day there was a costumer who was trying to try like different glasses on me and I was meditating and she didn't know it. And she was like, oh, excuse me, Dre, um, would you mind trying on these glasses? And I didn't answer her. And then <laughs> she must think that I'm like a raging bitch. And I just had to go up to her after and I was like, I'm so sorry. I was meditating. I would never just ignore you. <laughs> what about headphones? I feel like having headphones in is the like universal sign of like, please do not talk to me. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's helped me no. before, like on a plane when I've done it because if I have an early morning flight I never want to have to wake up even earlier to do the 20 minutes I always do it like when I get on the airplane you know yeah me too but yeah it's it can be complicated when there's people around for sure (laughs) yeah and they just think you're rude yeah (laughs) so okay we have so much in common I also have the hypothyroid thing and you do I do yeah and gosh another like so common now so common yeah it's like not even weird that we both have it but it's like so common what did common. i eat growing up swedish fish actually i i take that back i don't want to say anything bad about swedish fish <laughs> <laughs> i heard that they just redid their packaging i heard that on a, on a podcast the other day and i've been like very curious next time i'm in line at cvs i'm gonna need to like look at oh. the new swedish fish packaging because i'm so curious <laughs> why they would do that i know i know We'll check it out. Um, Well, do you think that, you know, like, why we're into self-inquiry and meditation and, like, becoming better at being ourselves, like, we're also both only children and have divorced parents. And so do you think that quality of being, you know, existential and, like, thinking about our – do you think that's something that you got from – being an only child or do you well my question that I wrote down in my copious notes about you was um you know what do you think there's any qualities from being an only child or being a child that you know had divorced parents that I guess those are two separate things completely but do you think there's anything that defined you as an adult yeah I mean it's interesting it's an interesting theory about the only child thing because you're definitely alone with yourself much more and you I don't know I guess depending on your personality that might lead to more introspection Um, but I don't know for me personally I feel like my childhood of course really sort of shaped I mean everyone's childhood shapes who they are but I feel like 
in my own experience, it was interesting because the only child thing, you know, the stereotype of an only child is like spoiled and, you know, whatever else. But I just, I had kind of the opposite upbringing and I, you know, my parents were super loving. It's so weird. They were very, very, very loving and then occasionally absent. <laughs> so, and not in a malicious way, in a, I don't know, they're just trying to kind of get it together themselves. And um, so it was an interesting dynamic because I would be a very unattended child, but then not completely um, neglected. You know, like when, when my parents were around, they were very, very loving and affectionate and supportive. Um, but my parents divorced when I was seven. And uh, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast I've been on, you might have heard this, but I, uh, yeah. They, I love this. I, I mean, I don't love this, but it's a good story. <laughs> and I, I'd love you to tell it is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. So basically my, my mom, we were going to my grandma's for Christmas, but for some reason my dad wasn't coming. And I remember that goodbye. I remember, although they weren't saying that they were separating, I remember the goodbye being way too sad. And as a kid, I remember thinking like, I just knew that something was wrong with it, but I didn't know exactly what. And I, it was just so weighted. And, um, yeah, we basically, we left for Christmas and we never came back. And my mom was just like, she decided not to tell me what was happening. And that was an interesting choice, which she's like talked about later as, you know, she recognizes now that it was a mistake, but at the time she just truly thought that was the best thing to do. Like she thought it would be too much to tell me that we were, not going to be with my dad anymore so she just decided that she wouldn't tell me until I asked which is just like I was just I was seven I had just turned seven it's just way that's too young of an age to be able to make a decision like that um which she acknowledges now uh and then two years went by and finally one day I was like where's dad <laughs> she told me um and then I started seeing my dad again um so that was like really weird and you know my parents they we were like poor but not you know there's so many different levels of poor you know my I had clean clothes and I had shoes that fit um and a lot of that was thanks to, you know, we went to go live with my my mom's family. So we lived in my great-grandmother's house, and my grandmother was also in the town, and my aunt lived really close by. Um, so anything that I really, really needed, the family would get if my mom couldn't get it. So, you know, like I had a winter coat and I had shoes and stuff. So um, I know that there are people who are definitely more poor than that. Um, but my mom wouldn't like have money for any sort of like good or fun food. So we didn't have like snacks or anything. And she was working all the time. She was 
cleaning houses. And um, my great-grandmother, there were like two kitchens. And she had like the the big kitchen of the house. And then my mom had converted a, a small walk-in closet into like a tiny, tiny kitchen with tiny apartment uh, appliances like the mini stove, which, you know, in New York might be what every – Everyone probably knows what I'm talking about <laughs> in New York, like the really small stove, the small fridge. Um, so I would have to steal food basically from my great grandma because she would like make a full meal for dinner and not feed me. <laughs> like imagine having like a little seven-year-old in your house and you made a full dinner and you didn't give them any. So strange. It's so strange. And and I I don't know – there's a weird dynamic and I was thinking about it the other day and I I do remember that if I were to actually ask her like could I have some dinner then she would give me some but if I didn't ask her she wouldn't make me any and then if I took food she would kind of shame me uh, especially like when the family was together like you know someone's been eating my food <laughs> I'm just oh like my okay goodness. But I used to like walk through, I had to walk through her living room and then there was a door that led to like the front um, living area and that's where our little kitchen was. And so I would like be walking from her kitchen and I would have like a chicken breast under my arm and I'd be like walking through her living room to sneak by to get to the other side and it was like this victory and I had made it and I would like, you know, cook for myself um, with whatever bounty I had stolen. Um, so it was weird. It wasn't like a normal, uh, I don't think that's what people think of when they think of an only child. Yeah. And you know, and that gave me more issues with food than I can even imagine. Just like, you know, the idea that, that food can and would be withheld definitely you know then I became a fat kid because I was just like any food that I found I would you know I would just like instead of having a cookie from the cookie jar I would probably have like 10 cookies because I had to get them all at once and like you know I'm like stealing food from my grandmother and it became this thing and she would hide the cookies she would bake cookies and hide them like what master bakes cookies and hides them? So I this I don't know. My relationship with food was very strained because of that, and I don't think I have even come to peace with that until like the past couple years. I feel like I've done every sort of diet and diet mentality you can think of, and it wasn't until until like. Uh, a little over a year ago, at the same time I found out about the thyroid thing, I found out because I was working with a dietitian and I was telling her like all of these insane rules. I can't even remember them all now. They were so disordered and really just not cool. And I was, you know, vegan at that time. It's just like those food rules were really, yeah. I don't know necessary and she I, I mean they're never necessary but I mean even on top of it it's like I'm eating I was eating like extremely healthy vegan like not eating like 
you know, junk food. I was, you know, no refined sugar, yeah. whole foods and... Orthorexic a little bit? Um, or just maybe. Mm- I don't even, I don't think it was orthorexic because I would do, um, it was just complete diet mentality. It would yeah. be like, I'll eat this way, but then, you know... One day a week I'll is my binge day, and I would eat like mm. you know whatever I wanted, all these sugary things, and and if I was at a party I would have sugary things or whatever, or didn't matter. I would eat pizza and stuff. But um, she was just like, okay, and then she recommended this book called Intuitive Eating. Oh yeah, and I got that book, and I that changed everything. Mm. And, so that's how I eat now, um, and I, ever since doing that, I was like, it's really crazy to me. It's nobody's fault. I feel like there are so many really bad messages out there, and I just, you know, I don't ever want to be someone who's pushy or overstepping my bounds, but it, it's funny, like every now and again, if it's someone that I know well and they're like, yeah, I'm going to eat this new way and basically I'm not going to have any carbs. I'm like, stop. Yes. <laughs> Good. Preach. It's just like, that's just a guaranteed way to yo-yo diet and you'll gain more weight later and you're just at war with your body. And I was just thinking yeah. like, it's amazing that we're in this time where I think, you know, there's like a pendulum swing to everything. There's like, um, I think there was a period where we weren't very nutritionally aware and we weren't very health conscious. And now the pendulum has swung the complete opposite way. So many people are very health conscious. They're very aware. Um, but it's a little extreme and what is extreme about it is the mentality that like you have to somehow trick your body or like you know like you're at war with your body but if you just keep your if you just you know mind over matter and you just keep it strong you'll win and it's like first of all your mind and your body are connected second of all your body isn't this insane complicated thing that you have to figure out the formula to yes it's an it's an insane complicated thing but it's on your side and it's doing amazing things every day to keep you alive and the most amazing thing it does is keep you alive through all of the bullshit (laughs) that you're putting it through like when people are like talking about ketosis and keeping themselves in ketosis I'm like oh my god if you actually knew the science behind it, and I guess, I mean, now I'm on a rant, but like if anyone is listening and they do ketosis, I think the thing that most of us are not aware of or are not aware of the the weight of it is that ketosis is like this amazing thing that your body does to survive. It's survival mode. Because your body is not supposed to burn energy out of fat. It burns energy out of carbs. And when you have eliminated carbs, your body goes into survival mode. And so just to stay alive, it converts fat to energy. 
but it's not the mode that it likes to be in. It's a high-stress, terrifying mode that your body is just doing to cope with. And it has been said from doctors that people in an extended state of ketosis should not even operate a vehicle. That's how damn it is to your brain. This is blowing my mind. I just, I was with someone who is, is doing that. And I was like, pass the sweet potato fries, you know, but I didn't know that this, the science behind it, that's so fascinating. Yeah. It's a survival mode thing, but like once that person stops doing that, um, the body is going to, you know, that's why people on those extreme things, they often gain back double to triple the weight that they were when they even started because your body is going like, oh, my God, you know, that was insane. We have to pack all of this on. I'm going to, instead of burning anything now, I'm going to save every little bit because that was crazy and I don't know when that's going to happen again. Mm. So it's not this, it's not balance. And it just makes me sad when people think that they have to do these extreme things, whereas like with intuitive eating, everything is in balance. And yeah. I used to not be able to have snacks in my house because I never allowed myself to have them. So when they were in my house, I would eat the entire box of cookies. And I feel like so many people can relate to like, oh, well, I can't have cookies in my house or yeah, I can't have ice cream in my house. I used to not be able to have a single pint of ice cream in my house, and now we have like four or five different kinds in the freezer right now because I can have them if I want them. So then guess what? I don't I don't eat them like I don't binge them. Yeah, legalization. So good. Yeah. It's so crazy. I feel like I went so far off of Oh my gosh. No. Oh, this but. is this is so perfect. I feel like I get to do nothing in this um, com- not even an interview conversation. I, you're like hitting all the notes of the things that I wanted to talk about anyway, just in a different order. So it's it's perfect. But yes, we're huge fans of intuitive eating on this podcast and anti dieting and everything you're saying. I'm just like nodding and fist bumping over here because I <laughs> agree with so much. But something I had that I'll just ask you now that relates to this and then we can like circle back to your childhood and like how you got into comedy and like a couple other things but just like staying in this vein of food and body image while we're here um you know that's something we talk about like I said a lot on this podcast kind of why I started and got got into it was you know body image stuff so with diet you talk about you know the way that you eat and veganism and you know or just being plant-based not necessarily labels which I love because I think labels are silly anyway but being in the industry that you're in how does body image affect the way that you eat and where are you now with intuitive eating when it comes to body image what do you do when you're having you know what what I call like a bad body image moment or how do you shift out of that and how does it affect the way that you eat um, I do try and now if I, you know, I still struggle with it and especially being on camera, you know, there's like, you know, we're shooting now and there was a, probably like a week or two ago, there was a scene where it's a locker room scene and there's a joke that I can't really, I can't spoil the joke, but like 
in a nutshell, we had to appear nude and I had to wear those like nudie undergarments and then they would blur stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, this is my worst nightmare come true. I can't believe this. I'm too fat. I can't do this scene. Like, you know, all the thoughts that any of us would have if suddenly someone was like, you're going to be nude in this scene and all of America will see it. And it's like, I mean, I think even people who are kind of like pro athletes for a living, even they would have their own little thoughts of like, oh, well, I'm not quite perfect enough to do this. You know, there's always something that we can find wrong with ourselves. Um, But I, so I, you know, I was, felt like I was about to slip into like, oh God, I need to do a cleanse. I need to. (laughs) all this crazy stuff and I just had to like I don't know I just I'm much better at it now but I had to remind myself that you know one of the things I actually read in the intuitive eating book and a friend of mine is a personal trainer and a yoga instructor and she was you know constantly reading about this stuff but um I'm just relaying what I what I understand to be true, but um, from what I understand, you're because your mind and body are connected. One of the reasons that diets continually fail, like maybe that first diet worked, but then the next ones don't work, and you keep striving to be like, well, if I could just get it right, if I if I could just do it like that one time that it worked, there's nothing that you can do right. Or, or, you know, get right to make it work further. It's the reason that things don't work as well is because your mind and body are connected. And the second your brain starts to go, oh, God, I have this thing coming up. I'm going to do a cleanse. Your body's like, I remember this. And it's just like sirens are going off. Survival mode. Hold on to all fat. Yeah, yeah it's like all... <laughs> All, all enforcement's in. We need all the help we can get. Yeah. She's Famine about is to, coming. Yeah, like she's about to try and kill us again. <laughs> like yeah. we need to fight back. And you, it's, you know, the diet, whatever it is, is not as effective as it was the first time. And I mean, I think, I think the way that I combat these thoughts now is by having educated myself. You know, I never stop reading about stuff like this and I think reading the science of it is very helpful and you know in a book like intuitive eating there they do point to the science of it and like why a diet doesn't work and that's why this diet industry is so the the diet industry is huge because it has repeat customers otherwise you know there would be no money in it but no one wants to sell you moderation (laughs) that's just like it takes too long no one wants to hear it um so I think when I get into that mode I have to sort of remind myself that and and I've seen it happen and I've had to sort of slip up in order to see it happen but like you know there's a certain cleanse that I have done in the past and I like to trick myself and be like well this cleanse is good because it has food but the last time I, uh, or the last times I've tried to do it, I actually immediately start gaining weight, 
and I can't even finish the cleanse. So I've had to just remind myself of the facts and and um, then I just, you know, I'll journal about it. And the minute you go, the minute you can get yourself out of panic mode, then you can actually see things clearly and you know, you are less inclined to um, eat a box of donuts or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Because when you start to go like, oh, my God, I have to be this by a certain time, it's – you're <laughs> Yeah, you're already setting yourself up for failure because, you know, you we tell ourselves that if, if my mind was just strong enough, I can stick to this. But it's actually like – scientifically your your mind and your like primal brain are going to do everything it, it can it it can is it one singular anyway to 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 kind of undo the thing that you're setting out to do yeah the only way to really do it is like eat when you're hungry eat what you want and like in the beginning when you're trying out intuitive eating it's like you might eat Dessert five times a day. Go for it. Guess what? You're gonna be sick of it <laughs> like mm-hmm. two days, and you know that's like you just have to go through that and just realize that you're actually allowed to eat anything that you want. And when you have that freedom, it's like, oh, maybe I don't want that. And then you start to slowly eat to feel good, and you realize like, oh, when I eat that that made me feel really sick. But when I eat this, I have more energy. So you just kind of like, when you're really listening to your body, you just, you will choose foods that actually make you feel good if you're, if you're really listening to your body. And, you know, sometimes you'll indulge in something that's a wonderful treat and like, maybe it doesn't make you feel that great, but it was a wonderful social experience. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's nourishment from all sorts of things, food and experiences. And I think when I started to choose sanity over thinness or dieting or like just getting out of the, that mentality, I became such a cooler person to be around because my interest diversified from just trying to control my weight and body, which I believe we can't even control. You know, like our. Yeah metabolism and as we age and like the factors in our life and our mental you know whatever's happening in our financial life like we can't actually control our weight so I think if we stop trying to we can actually have real interests that matter and are productive in the world that don't include you know sitting in our on our hands trying not to eat and then beating ourselves up when we inevitably eat a bunch because of as a reaction to that so yeah and if you exercise to feel good like do things that you really like, you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get the exercise you need, you'll get the muscle tone you need, it should just make you feel good. And yeah, and I do think it's interesting too, and you brought up orthorexia, and the one thing, I definitely understand that term, the one thing that I feel like is and I feel like you probably agree, is like a dangerous thing is when people try and say that veganism in general is orthorexia. Um, That's where I'm like, no. (laughs) Uh, 
I I understand where it's like it's tricky because people think like oh I'm you know you're eating vegan because you think you know these other foods are bad or or you're just trying to be healthy and I think when a lot of people do eat a plant-based diet their first introduction to it is probably health reasons or like to be thin which is definitely why I started eating a plant-based diet. I was like, yeah. I want to look like Lake Bell. Yeah, or Skinny Bitch. I feel like that book, did you ever read that one? I read Skinny Bitch, yeah. That one cool. is is kind of like the same thing. Like, you leave that being a vegan for very different reasons than you started reading the book for. <laughs> yeah, when, and I, it's like I had read that and I didn't read Eating Animals, um, which would be a very different reason if you read that book. Um so I think in the beginning, I could see why people are like, oh, veganism is orthorexia, but it's definitely not. And I don't know if you've ever heard people try and say that, but it makes me, I feel really annoyed by that. Um, because in the end, it's like, if you're eating a plant-based diet, it's it's for more than just your body. Hopefully it's yeah. because you have educated yourself on the environmental factors you've yeah. educated yourself on the compassionate reasons like you know it's just I think everybody now is pretty aware of what the meat industry is like and I think you know we just don't want to think about it most of the time yeah which I I, I get but you know yeah. those are the reasons now why I eat a plant-based diet yeah, sure. I I agree, and, and, and those are, are my reasons as well. I think for me, at first, the, the label was there to kind of differentiate myself and just make it easier, you know, like when I was in college of just being like, this is how I am, and this is why I am weird and have my weird food that I packed, and this is why I, um, you know, don't drink, and I have all of these things, and it made, it was a way to, for me to, like, make myself special but then I realized it it wasn't from a healthy place I was really doing it from aesthetic reasons but the way that I look at it now is I don't care about or need or want at all the the label of of plant-based or vegan at all it's more I don't even need to to talk about it there are so many things that are more interesting for me to talk about now than like what I eat or what I don't eat and I don't want to you know, make anyone feel bad for what they eat, but I think everyone can agree on adding more plants in, you know, and I think I got it from you, but what I think you said, James Cameron, he talks about how the term plant-based is a bit better, which I like so much more than, than vegan, even just because it talks about what you're adding in instead of what you're giving up. Was that from you that I got? Yeah. Yeah. And he has a whole school, um, and all the all of the food for the kids are it's a plant-based program and they're taught yeah it's it's so it's like instead of what makes you different from everyone else it's like the things that you have in common with everyone else you know it's just like a different way of looking at it and and normalizing that way of eating instead of yeah instead of pointing out the things that that you don't eat it's pointing out the things that you do eat yeah. And I also uh, got to interview the chef of 
crossroads here in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. Tal Ronan. And he also says plant-based. Like, I had to do this thing for CNN where it's like they were, we went in the restaurant and they were pretty adamant about me saying plant-based instead of vegan, which I thought was pretty cool. Because I yeah. also, I don't like that word. And, and he was saying that um, the majority of their clientele is, are actually meat eaters. And part of that is, I think, because they've kind of done away with that term vegan and they've, and they've normalized it and made it inclusive. Because the other problem with, with like a label like that, I think, I think it's beyond just having a label, but it's, you know, there were and are, unfortunately, a lot of angry people behind that word. And um, it just makes me sad because I feel like if your message in the end and your purpose is to get more people to kind of be aware of certain things, you are much more effective through love than through anger. And, you know, people's natural reaction to a combative situation is to defend themselves and, and shut down and not hear what you're saying because you're attacking them. So if you, if you don't attack people and you don't try and push your agenda and you just sort of have, you know, if we have studies out there that say like, hey, guess what? If you eat more vegetables, you're healthier. And the people are like, oh, great. It's not like people don't eat vegetables. <laughs> it's just like, you know, if you eat less meat, you know, yeah, it's better for your heart. And people are like, I can do that. But once you say like vegan, then totally. people think that it has to be like 100% or nothing. And then they don't want to do it at all. And they're like, you know, people can have a what's technically a vegan meal and not be vegan. But if they feel like it has to be 100% or nothing, then they're probably not going to have that meal. Exactly. Yeah, it's like what we were talking about to bring this back to the beginning with meditation of like if it seems like it has to be this whole huge thing with the special candle and the essential oils and whatever, whatever, you're not going to do it. But if it's easy and you can make it work in your life on a plane or whatever, you'll do it. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, we're so on the same page. Also, separately, is Crossroads, I think when I was in L.A. last week, my friend Val was telling me about how they have some sort of burger there that uses plant blood, and you can only order one per time you come. Is that the same place? Yeah, it's called the Impossible Burger. Have you had it? I haven't had it because, unfortunately, I can't eat gluten. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I heard. It has gluten in it. Yeah, and I'm, like, sensitive to gluten. I don't know if I'm celiac, but then also with the thyroid thing, my uh, doctor was like, don't eat gluten because it can lead to Hashimoto's, which I don't have right now. Mm. Um, But that's really a bummer for me because I really would just like to eat gluten. I don't think it's bad for you or anything. Um, I also understand the whole history of gluten and like why I can't eat it right now um, because we've like changed the when they did the GMO wheat the protein of it changed and the protein is the thing that we either can or cannot digest well Um, and 
anyone listening out there, this is gross but helpful. My acupuncturist explained to me that if you eat something and it gives you like really stinky gas, that's when you can't break down the protein. But if you just have gas and it's just kind of like the wind beneath your wings, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just burning off carbs and that's just normal and we're animals and that happens. Ah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Gross and fascinating. Yeah. I love talking about farts and poop, so great. <laughs> Did I actually, this is so disgusting. I don't know if you know this, but I think the other thing that deters people from eating a plant-based diet is that often when you, if you just dive in, let's say, like I was eating paleo, and then I suddenly decided to switch to a plant-based diet, like overnight. And I cannot explain the level of gas that I had. (laughs) And I know that I have some friends, too, who eat meat, and they're like, gosh, if I eat vegan food, it's like I'm so gassy. And um, there was a period of time where I was like, will this ever end? What is happening to my body? It was so terrible. And I was like, what is this? Why is this happening? Because... You know, I can see why people wouldn't want to continue eating that way if you think that's going to be the norm. And it's interesting because once I got past that transition, now I, like, barely ever have gas, which is funny because, like, there's a stereotype of, like, the gassy vegan. Um, But I read that the reason you get so much terrible gas when you first start eating a plant-based diet is because your body can only digest like 20 grams of protein at a time. And when we eat a bunch of meat and animal products, we're often putting in more than 20 grams and in like less than four hours. You might not have 20 grams in whatever you ate, but it takes at least four hours or more to digest it. So when your stomach can't fully digest something, it kind of pushes it aside in a little pocket, makes like a little mucus pocket to get to it later. But if you keep eating animal protein on top of it, it never gets to it. So then, you know, I'm sure you've seen those things of like people die and there's been there's like 30-year-old steak in their colon yeah. and stuff. Just like gross things that never digested. Um And when you start to eat a plant-based diet, all of the fiber, first of all, allows for much easier digestion, but then it also allows those old mucus pockets of old meat and stuff to uh, release, and that has all of this fermented gas in it. So it's clearing that stuff out, and that's what the bad gas is. Isn't that disgusting? Yeah, it's so disgusting. I heard you say that on another podcast today, and I was—I hadn't heard that before, and I was just like, "Wow." (laughs) And I mean, I'm not like a scientist or a doctor, um, but I read that, and I was like, "Wow, wow, wow!" Because I was googling and googling and and just trying to read every book, and and you know, like. You can look in like medical journals and stuff and be like, why is this gas happening? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. And I kept like checking different sources. I wish I could point towards a source that was a few years ago. 
Um, it was probably like six years ago now, so I don't know where I read it, but it's um, out there. It's disgusting. It's out there. You can find it, but yeah. and it does stop. So if anyone is like listening and they're like, "I've been wanting to try a plant based diet, but I can't take the gas," it will stop in like two weeks, I would say max. Um, but it's if you just get through that, <laughs> yeah, it's like getting some sort of um, like facial or something, or just like yeah, just know what's happening and. <laughs> Yeah, it's like squeezing all the gunk out of your pores. You're going to have some red marks. You're yeah. up, and your skin looks great. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. My skin has been much better until I – I mean, my skin on a plant-based diet has been incredible, but I did just quit birth control, and now I'm having, like, all of this hormone release, which is crazy. I don't know if anybody at home is, like, quitting birth control. Just know – if you're having the breakouts, they will calm down, and it takes like four to six months, and it's just kind of like, I my acupuncturist told me that you, when you're on a synthetic birth control, the hormones are stored in your liver, and then when you go off of it, your liver starts detoxing them out, pushing mm-hmm. them out, and hormones appear like in your jawline, like the, yeah. if you're any breakout, just know and I've had friends who have also gone off of it, and all of them have told me, like, don't worry. It's all going to be so beautiful and clear. <laughs> Just have to wait until yeah. all of that kind of gets flushed out. I don't even have bad acne, but I'm used to having completely clear skin. So any tiny little pimple, I'm like, ah! Yeah, I actually saw your uh, Insta story post today about it, and it... I mean, I'm like, pimples are the worst. I'm sorry that you're having them, but it made me feel less alone because I, my skin, I've like always kind of struggled with, but, you know, has gone through periods of like being great. And then I, I've never been on birth control, but I didn't have a period for a really long, really, really long time because of my eating disorder. And then it coming back and my skin kind of freaking out. And I, that is something else kind of like food that you can just get so in your head about and and thinking about all the time and I think just to just simply talking about it and being like so we get pimples sometimes and it's another thing as women that maybe we could just normalize and like it's okay and it's I think especially you know it's something that is so not hideable I mean obviously there's makeup but like it's something that is on your face and so it's easy to think about all the time and you know it can really like ruin your day you know so I think just us like your post made me so happy that you're like I have pimples but also it's okay and I'm gonna go about my day and everything's fine you know I think it's just good to kind of do that and I used to be so embarrassed like never wanting anyone to like see me without makeup or talk about the fact that I had pimples and now I'm just like well I have a pimple today and that's what's happening with that but also it's fine (laughs) and it will go away yeah I mean I think it's also important to I think now that I'm on a show and like you know I'll have videos and pictures of where I have like the most amazing hair and makeup ever and there'll be event photos and it's like that's great. We all look great in, in amazing hair and makeup, but I I think it's really important to um, just remind people that I'm a person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a regular person, so I'll do a lot of videos and stuff with no makeup on, which I think in the past I would have never, ever posted or done. 
but I more than ever find it important because I think as the hair and makeup gets more glamorous, I think I think it's important for me personally and I think for anybody who follows me to see that I am just a normal person and I have pimples and no, my eyes don't look that big without <laughs> mascara and like fake lashes and you know, nobody's does. It's crazy. It like changes the shape of your face. It's so nuts. Yeah. Well, you're gorgeous with and without makeup, but I'm really it's really great that you share that and are able to be authentic and vulnerable so people know the truth behind all of that because we're women are so hard on themselves. Yeah. I think there's also a thing of like when we have people who I don't know, like I know I'm not as popular as other people on shows or movies, but it's like, I think when you see someone who's just always perfect all the time, that's when, if anything, they're more susceptible to those awful, like, you know, when there is a picture with her without makeup and it's like, celebs without makeup. Like, yeah. or Yeah, or you can just like, I don't know, just not not be ashamed of your face without makeup in the first place and just like not let that be breaking news you know yeah yeah oh totally yeah uh she shows that every day to us with her cat Um, yeah so circling back a little bit to your childhood and I want to know two things about that did you always know that you wanted to be an actor comedian and a performer when you were younger is that what you studied in school and then I also want to know and maybe these things kind of go together or maybe they don't but I'll just kind of give you these things to ponder and like let you go on it but also when did you you said you've been in therapy for a really long time when did you get into therapy and have you been working with the same therapist and when did you start processing some of the things that we talked about from your childhood um I did always know that I wanted to be a performer I think I've kind of, I started with like singing and dancing and I wasn't sure exactly what facet of the industry I wanted to be in. Um, And I ultimately landed in acting and um, when I was little, I was in dance until I was like, I don't know, five or six. And then, then we moved and then my parents broke up and then I wasn't in dance anymore. Um, so I still really love dancing, even though I didn't get to really continue that training. And I always sang, and then I thought I was going to be a singer for a really long time. And so all through middle school and high school, I was in choir. Uh, I took voice lessons. I was in show choir, which is like a really cheesy dance and singing kind of group. Um, and... Um, I went to college for theater. I went to Marymount Manhattan in New York City, and it was a it was um, a drama program with a musical theater minor. So, for the first, I'd say like three years, it was mostly dramatic acting was the focus, and you know we had to do all different techniques, um, and then. I'd say more towards the end, like 
junior and senior year, I got to do more of the musical theater stuff, and I had a pretty intense dance program, and we would go to, like, Steps on Broadway for three credits, so we had to just pick a class. It was, like, two days a week, and then um, I also had a dance program that I was in at the school. Actually, it was, like, outside of the school. That's the cool thing about New York City. They just kind of, like, sourced outside Broadway people, so... Monday through Friday, I was in dance every morning for two hours. And then on top of it, Tuesday, Thursday, I would also go to more dance at Steps on, on Broadway. Um, so I had a lot of dance. I thought I was going to be mostly focused in musical theater. Um, and then I did my first Broadway audition. And I uh, just, like, crumbled with the pressure. I was so nervous and scared. And I was wearing like really cool jeans with my character shoes and there were all these girls in like dresses and they had red lipstick on and their hair was all perfectly curled. And I remember I was just in a panic and I could barely sing because if you're panicking, you can't breathe. <laughs> I remember at the end of the audition, the auditioner just looked at me and went, nice jeans. And I was like, <gasps> and I never went to another Broadway audition again. I was like, I'm done. That's it. And then I uh, I was still in college and my senior, one of my senior projects, my, um, my dance teacher actually pulled me aside and we had to do like a scene into a dance and it was a comedy scene and she was like, you need to go do comedy. You're so gifted. That's like, I'm telling you, you have to go do comedy. And at the time I was really annoyed. Um, but then I listened and I went to UCB in New York and I started taking classes and, uh, yeah. And then I got on a, I was doing like a lot of improv and I was on an indie improv team and we had this show called as the diamond burns, which was an improvised soap opera that ran for like two years, which was crazy. Oh, cool. Um, and then I got on a mod team, which was a sketch team. And I just, then I mainly did sketching characters. And that's where I think, like, the dramatic training really helped because I could really ground these insane characters. Um, and then, yeah, I've just been doing comedy ever since. And... When did I'm you move to L.A.? Um, six years ago, I think it was. Yeah. Six years ago. What's your favorite part of living in California? I think the the quality of life is nicer. You know, like the apartments are, for the most part, bigger and sunny. And, you know, you don't have to be like, and it has a window. Like that's yeah. not, No one would ever say that here. It's like, of course it has a window. What are you talking about? Like I've had rooms in New York where it didn't even have a window. Um, so I think just like the living space is much nicer and the sunshine and the warmth definitely, I think makes you happier. Yeah. Me personally, I love New York, but I do think that if it's dark and cold and then you're also in a tiny apartment with no real light, I realize for me personally, it really affects my mood. Mm, yeah. As someone who's lived on both coasts, but lived in New York for a long time, what advice, positive advice would you have for living in New York and what was the best part about living in New York? 
Um, I think the best part was all of the, I think it's just amazing that you have access to almost anything you could dream up in probably about 30 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I need a kimono. For <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go down to Chinatown and I'm going to get a kimono and I'll be right back. It's, it's like, like the internet in real life. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I love that, you know, things are open late here in LA. It's really frustrating. A lot of things, you know, you'll get out of a show or something and you're like, I'm hungry. Oh, nothing's open. It's so annoying. It'll be 10 p.m. and everything's closed. That's very annoying. Um, So New York is definitely amazing for that. And just the transportation and getting around and the walking, I really love and miss just the accessibility of the entire city, you know, just the transportation system and the walkability. I, I really, really think that, I don't know, if you're used to it, you probably don't even think about it, but I do think that that's really kind of good for you and your life to be able to just walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really beneficial, I think, to your Obviously, your physical health, but also your mental health. I don't know. I just think it's really good. Yeah, I agree. I love the like the power of the neighborhood and yeah, having everything you need in walking distance is really cool. Yeah. What advice would you give to a up and coming performer, somebody who wants to get into comedy? If you you know had to boil it down to a couple things, um, I would say you definitely need to really be unshakably sure that that's what you want to do. Um, I know we all have moments where we don't feel sure, but I think there's always somewhere deep within that you know that that's just, you know, what the Lotus and the Lily would call it a thought worm where it's like, I'm never going to be successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm never going to. And But, like, deep down you know that that voice is not true. Um, so I would say, like, Definitely, if you know deep down that you that you really are meant to do this, then you need to just stick it through and um, work really hard and just try and constantly be creating things that are different from what you see and and don't try and create things to get views or or to please people because your voice in itself is unlike anybody else's on the entire planet. So if you're doing something that truly just is interesting and brings you joy, it's going to be a much better representation when it's floating out there amongst all the other things that everybody's creating, if it's really your own kind of stamp on it, you know? And it'll feel much more effortless. It's funny, like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, people like that? That's weird, because it doesn't feel hard to me if I'm just doing something that's just, like, almost like I'm entertaining myself. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, and then I think that's, like, one part of it, and then the other side of that is, is the discipline of it, and just constantly push yourself to, to be a better writer, to be a better performer, don't ever think that, you know, as far as the discipline of your work, don't ever think that it's enough. Because I feel like we definitely have a sort of an overall 
lazy culture. And I think everybody would benefit from having just kind of a stronger work ethic, myself included, like sit down and write. And, you know, if you are performing something, don't just, you know, get up there and wing it, like really have an idea of what you're going to do. I mean, I know that there are some pretty brilliant people who do sort of appear to just wing it or maybe they're improvising, but they still have like an idea of what the joke is and what the beats are and how to heighten it and, and sort of a map of where they're going. I don't know. It's not just like completely winging it. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. I just feel like, I just feel like if you work really hard and you're talented, you're going to be successful in the end. And it might take you five years. It might take you 10 years. It might take you two years. I don't know. It's just, you can't compare yourself to anybody else and your your journey is not going to be the same as someone else's. So I think the one thing we all tend to do and really need to work to not do is compare yourself to others. Just don't do it because you're not that other person. That person's not you. And thank God. And you're not yeah. actually in competition with them. There's this you know, the mentality that there's not enough to go around will only sink you. And it, it should, you know, you should work hard from a place of knowing that you're enough and not from a place of being like, well, there's not enough, so I need to get it before someone else. You know, if you're, if the place where your work is inspired from comes from a place of self-worth and love and knowing that you are supposed to be doing this, your work is going to be fueled with so much more creativity than you could ever tap into if you're just trying to outdo someone else or, you know, get something before someone else does. And you just have to, you just have to kind of realize that you're, you're not actually in competition with everyone else. I know it seems like it, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're just not. Everyone's so different. All of that was so good. I want to stand up and clap. It was, I think that was all really good career or just life advice in general, not even specifically for comedy or performing. I think that was just all so wise. I loved every word of that. Thanks. Um, can we talk about relationships a little bit and get some of your wisdom in that, I know you're dating another comedian who is actually how I found you, and he's doing the podcast as well soon. But what have you learned about relationships from this relationship or in general, and, and what advice would you give to people around that? Um, I think for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, um, I think the thing that I struggle with and not so much anymore, the thing that I have struggled with is feeling that I'm worthy of love. And I think a lot of us have this issue, whether you're aware of it or not. And it creates so many problems. And I think I've had so many relationships where looking back now, I realized that I was making it work. And I think we all do that and 
honestly, like logically, why wouldn't you? You know, if you're a person who can see a lot of good in people, you're going to see all of the best qualities in someone and you believe in them and you, um, you know, you want to be compassionate and understanding of them as a whole person, their faults and imperfections included, and you accept them. And that's great, but sometimes I know for me personally that would get me in a place where I wasn't with someone who was maybe my my right complement, and you know I could see like oh, but you know I could see all the good things about this person, so then I would feel bad thinking like oh, you know thinking like maybe we shouldn't be together or something like that, and. I think a long time ago, especially in that relationship, you know, with the guy who convinced me to get implants, mm-hmm. I didn't love myself enough. I felt very insecure. And then everything in my life kind of revolved around him um, socially, and my own self worth was greatly dependent on if he thought x y or z of me and I wasn't aware of that at the time I'm looking back now and I'm able to say that and see that so I think the I think the one thing that is really important in finding the partner who is your right kind of complement is really working on yourself and there's a difference between just going to therapy. Oh, and now I remember your other question. I think I've, I started going to therapy in high school because my mom was with a domestically abusive partner who she was with for like four or five years and it was very violent and scary. Um, and so then I think a little bit during that and a little bit after that relationship ended, I was in therapy. I know I was in high school. Um, cause then I just hated all men. I thought men were bad <laughs> because that guy was so just scary and violent. Um, and, uh, then I think I, I didn't go for a while and then my dad died a little bit after college. And then that's the one gift. I, I mean, not the one gift, but <laughs> that's one of the gifts that I was given and that I learned from that relationship with the guy who uh, told me to get implants. he w- I was like, my dad was dead. I was especially vulnerable. I was very upset all the time. I was crying. And he was like, you need to go to therapy, which was like supposed to be an insult at the time. But it was the greatest insult he could have ever given me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened and I went. And then I had that same therapist. And she, uh, I had her in New York. And then... You know, she and I had such a great relationship, and because I'm an extremely verbal, verbally expressive person, um, she allowed me to continue with phone therapy when I moved to Los Angeles, and especially because it was a big change, and I just couldn't have another big change, you know, in trying yeah. to find a therapist. So I probably talked to her once a week for, uh, I think, like eight years. I think, um, and I'm like just now stopping. I talk to her like once a month. I just really like her. I just want to talk to her now. Yeah, maintenance. <laughs> um, That's great. 
Yeah. So um, I think that's really important too, though, in relationship and and in life, but especially in relationships, because if we're going to have a successful relationship, we need to achieve real intimacy. And you can't achieve real intimacy if you are not comfortable with certain aspects of yourself and you're not willing to look at the dark stuff and and kind of work through I don't yeah. know all the all of the things that you're holding and yeah. the things you don't even know that you're holding and I, I feel like you know just talking through therapy I really worked out a lot and then um, in the past like year I've started seeing like a an energy healer and you know just like if you're you know people are super stressed you can give yourself an ulcer that kind of thing which is another example of the mind and the body being connected and there's a thing of like emotionally we don't just feel emotions and just they don't just exist like floating in your head we physically hold them as well like you know if you're really tense maybe you you lift your shoulders and maybe your neck and your shoulders are really tight and you don't even know that you're doing that but it's you know you're holding a lot of stress and different occurrences that can happen in life especially traumatizing things are also held in the body in different places and so I've started to work through that it's like just like never-ending work on myself and I just you know I for a physical example is like I have always tripped a lot and I've always said like I feel like my feet aren't grounded and I couldn't describe what I meant but I would say to people like oh isn't it weird how your feet just kind of like go and like you don't even have to think about it and everyone's like no I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> but it would feel like my feet felt like like floaty hoverboard kind of things like I didn't feel like rooted in the earth I didn't feel grounded and I would trip a lot and this healer kind of pointed that out in the very first session and through all the work with her like now my feet feel rooted into the ground like weighted like I when I stand up I actually feel weight in my feet which I've never ever felt it's very uh-huh. interesting and I think through that work too I and the lotus and the lily I've been able to uncover the really deep stuff. Like, to be completely personal, there's a, I realized in this last round of the Lotus and the Lily, along with like my energy work, that I have like a deep rooted fear that is not based in my current reality. That, you know, I, it comes from feeling not worthy of love, but the fear in relationships is that this person will surely fall out of love with me or and leave me and or betray me <laughs> in like mm-hmm. some sort of way and it's a deep rooted fear that then can affect everything in the relationship because you know if you are if you come from a place where you're afraid ultimately that that you're not worthy of love, that that maybe you're not good enough. That might be a better way to phrase that. Like, 
if you think that maybe you're not good enough, like maybe there are a bunch of people out there who are better than you, and ultimately you fear that your partner might choose one of those people, then every interaction that that person has with other women or men, depending on your situation, you can feel threatened by for no reason other than you don't feel enough self-worth. And we don't actually want to acknowledge that. And I think so many of us, including my past self, right now I'm like perfectly happy to admit imperfection. But like we don't want to admit that because we don't want to be wrong. But there's nothing more wonderful than admitting that you're wrong, that, that there's something like, oh, this is like, this is happening, and I realize that maybe that's not really right of me, or I think we have to get past like something being right and wrong. It's like, it just is, and that's part of loving yourself. Like, I have had an issue of feeling like worried that my partner is going to fall out of love with me and cheat on me, and that comes from a lot of stuff in my past. It does come from a relationship where I was cheated on, but even further back, it comes from, you know, adults in my life doing and saying things that made me feel unworthy of love and situations in my life where people chose things over me and that made me feel unworthy of love. So it's like, you just have to acknowledge all of that and work through all that and feel that pain and be like, Oh my God, that's awful, that hurts. And then let it, just like let it be. You can't, yeah. you can't, you can't pretend it's not there. And you can't try and make it go away. You have to acknowledge it. Be like, thank you so much. I see that. I see that thought. It doesn't help me right now. <laughs> and I'm yeah. going to let it go. And when you acknowledge that, you know, in the Lotus and the Lily, they call it a thought worm. It's like a thought that kind of burrows into your brain and it affects everything. Yeah. And when you have a thought worm, it's, you know, at our core, we're trying to protect ourselves. That's why these thoughts come up. So it's like, oh, everyone is ultimately going to betray me or leave me or I'm not good enough and he's going to go be with another girl eventually. Why am I having that thought? to protect me from being cheated on, right? Mm -hmm. But that thought, instead, it actually makes the very thing you're afraid of more possible to come true because then you start acting crazy, you know? Yeah. Whereas if you let it go, whenever we act out of fear, it's because we're trying to prevent or control a situation that we're fearful of or, you know, we don't want something to happen. But when we act out of that, we're we're actually making it more likely that that very thing is going to happen instead of just letting it go. And if you think if you think about it, like, you know, if somebody's like, where are you? Where have you been? Who did you talk to? What are you? You're going to be like, oh, God, leave me alone. Yeah. But you're like, just let it go. That other person is probably going to just openly share with you where they were, who they were with, what they did. And they're going to want to, you know, be more open with you. Yeah. And if somebody is cheating on you, you will find out eventually. Mm. And you probably already knew deep down inside. And I feel like, you know, 
in this relationship, it was an extremely long-winded answer, but I've had to really grapple with these things because none of those things are happening, and it's actually a really weird occurrence to have, like, I feel like for the first time, maybe ever, I have complete unconditional love for my partner. Mm. And you think like, oh, that's really wonderful. That must feel really good. Yes, but it actually brought up a lot of old stuff. It's like when we finally have a positive, loving thing, it sometimes can remember us of all the times that we didn't. And then you feel Yeah, so I've had to really deal with that. And then on top of it, you know, when I am having this relationship with, like, wonderful, unconditional love, then it's even more scary if it would go away. Yeah. So I had to do really, like, double down on tackling that stuff within myself to just kind of quiet those fears so that I could actually enjoy my relationship and love and grow with this person and stop being so scared that it's gonna go away oh my gosh I am like going through the exact same thing I relate so much to everything you're saying as Pete Holmes says on his podcast podcast like free podcast people like I just feel like I'm getting so much from this I hope everyone else is too this is like so helpful but yeah I I think a lot of people can relate. I I can for sure. And I think it's so good that we're talking about this. And yeah, I don't know. I sounded very inarticulate, but I'm just basically saying thank you. That was so good. And isn't it crazy how when you're uncomfortable and how relationships can help us grow as people, which I think is the whole reason why we're here anyway, is to move ourselves forward and grow. And relationships more than anything, I think, force us to do that. Yeah, totally. And I feel like uh, I just thought of a good example of like if if someone listening is like, what do you mean that when you haven't had, you know, love or a loving situation and then you have it, you actually feel sad. Here is a great example in case someone doesn't completely understand what I mean. Uh, I had a relationship. It was actually also the same implant relationship. I mean, looking back, I needed to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously there were good things too, otherwise I wouldn't have stayed that long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that person didn't really uh, believe in birthdays, I guess. Um, Yeah, so he didn't really want to celebrate my birthday, and he would reluctantly, if I really was like, oh, it's my birthday, and I would get upset, but he wasn't really into presents, and he didn't really do anything on my birthday like it doesn't have to be presents could be like just something to acknowledge like it's your birthday I love you yeah so that was like four years of that and then the next relationship that I had after that which is not my current boyfriend but um he was a very kind wonderful guy he was like a very good um person to kind of reestablish trust and love and I remember it was my first birthday uh and it was I was with the new guy and this was post the other guy and my boyfriend at the time had arranged 
a dinner with all of my friends and mm. um, then had gotten Aaron McKenna's, you know, baby cakes, cupcakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they brought them out in the restaurant as a surprise. I had no idea. Aww. And he came candles lit and they walked through the restaurant, him and my friend and like everybody saying happy birthday to me. And I was just crying because I hadn't had any sort of celebration of my birthday in like four years. And so now, you know, the, the cupcakes and just like the kind gestures then made me feel I was so happy about them, but I was also so sad because then I, I just hadn't had that in so long that it made me feel it made me realize how sad that was and mm. feel that sadness. And it was just like a very confusing thing where I was like crying. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was a nice thing. Everyone's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. I just haven't wow. had a birthday. <laughs> yeah. You probably just like took that emotion that needed to be processed and just like stuffed it down somewhere and was like, I'll deal with that later. And then it all came rushing up in that moment with the candles. Yeah. Well, when you're in a situation, um, you normalize because you can't, it's interesting. I was just talking about this with, um, Rashida, Rashida Jones is on, I'm on a show with her and she, Oh, I wish I remember she said there was like a documentary. Oh God, I forgot what it's called, but it's all about like normalizing sort of, um, bad situations and and we we continue to normalize them because if we don't it's like we can't deal day to day you can't constantly if you're in a situation that's really bad and you know this happens a lot in like domestic abuse relationships and households and like I remember when I all of that was finally over and you know when I first started going to therapy and the stuff with my grandma not feeding me and stuff like I never thought any of that was bad, but I couldn't think that any of that was bad because that was my life. And if I was walking around thinking that my life was terrible all the time, I don't know how I would get through a day. I probably would have like after the great grandma stuff, not feeding me and then straight into like a domestically abusive boyfriend of my mom's who's like, you know, living with us and just absolutely terrifying. Like, I don't know, I probably would have like killed myself or done drugs or like, you know, but you normalize and you're like, Oh, it's not that bad. And you find all the positives in the day and you, and you get on with life. But then when you're finally out of that situation, then you can feel the pain of it. Yeah. It's kind of like if you get a cut and then you see the blood and then all of a sudden like it doesn't hurt but then when you see the blood you are freaking out yeah and it's kind of I I've had so many of those experiences in therapy where like I don't really realize that something from my childhood was weird about or even not just in therapy when I like am vulnerable and tell a friend about something and they're like wait what happened like what did that's and I was just like oh yeah I didn't even realize that that was like so bad and or so strange or you know would impact me in a way and it's it's been I think just having that validation of like, oh, that was a pretty traumatic thing. Like that right there, that awareness is even helpful. Yeah. And it's like the awareness, um, I don't know. And it doesn't mean like victimizing yourself or anything. It's just like acknowledging it. And honestly, again, in the Lotus and the Lily, it's acknowledging it and actually thanking it 
for whatever it taught you in life. And sometimes you're like, you're going to thank a domestically abusive guy? Like, you're out of your mind. What do you mean you're going to thank the universe or that guy or whatever for that experience? And it's like, there's always something that, that we did learn from whatever situation, as horrible as it may be, and it might be hard to find what that is at first, but if you really kind of look at it, you can you can kind of detach yourself from the bad things that have happened in life and and not be the victim of them. You can acknowledge them and feel them, and then you're better able to let them go. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Uh, one more question about relationships, and then I want to quickly ask you the quick, fair questions I ask everyone. And thank you for spending so much time with me. This I can't believe it's been so long, but it's gone by so fast. Um, I there's so many other things I could ask you too. But in your current relationship with both of you being in comedy and and being performers, I I have a friend who's who's dating a comedian, and they're constantly doing bits, and they're so fun to be around, and silliness and laughing is such a huge part of their relationship is it totally seems like it is but is that the case for you guys and where does comedy and not even just if it's comedians dating each other whether someone's like actually in that industry I feel like regardless silliness is such a crucial part of relationships so is that something that you make a priority in your relationship or does it just sort of come up I think it just comes up and it's definitely there and we laugh a lot together and we can be silly together. And I think, I think I don't even think about it because I'm so used to it. But ultimately for me, it's being allowed to be completely myself and allowing, and for him, he can be completely himself. Cause I feel like it's very rare that I'm ever around anybody who like, if I do something really silly, they look at me like, Oh, she's crazy. Or like <laughs> they're not responsive to it. Um, I realize now in your asking me that, that there are people who are uh, not so silly and maybe they would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I think because Andrew and I are both in comedy, I forget that, that that's even possible. We do, yeah, we laugh a lot. and um, But we're also like, we can be really serious and have very, you know kind of deeper conversations and I think it's a nice balance like I think it's it's um when you're with someone who is really kind of comfortable with themselves then it's not just non-stop bits like that would drive me crazy yeah when someone is like constantly on I'm like oh my gosh you need to be comfortable with yourself <laughs> yeah like, who are you really, yeah. though? Where are you in there? <laughs> yeah, because, like, I don't know. We can do bits and stuff, but it's not nonstop bits, and and um, there's, like, good balance. But it's funny. We were just at his mom's for the holiday break, and we were in the kitchen, and there was, like, some music on, and he took my arms and was, like, making me dance, kind of like I was, like, a puppet or something, and... I just went with it and I was, we're laughing and I'm dancing around and then I did to him and his mom just thought that was so Aww. funny and she was like do the puppet dance again do the puppet dance. Like, we're like oh no that was like 
We're, I don't know. That was just like a thing that happened. It wasn't like a, it's not like we do the puppet dance all the time. Right. But it was funny because she's not used to being around people who just like will do that. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people might be like, you know, oh, stop, I'm cooking, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, it's, it's really nice. And, and I feel like you don't have to be a comedian even to have those moments in your life. I think everybody can just like, you know, allow yourself to laugh and be silly. It's in everybody. We all have it. It's just as we get older, we're like, we think that we can't be silly or we're going to look dumb or something like that. It's like, who cares? Yeah. You don't care if you look dumb. You don't look dumb. It's like, just decide that you're not dumb. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. I I relate so much to Andrew's mom because when I was around Val and Pete for like a week, I felt like I came back and just because picking up the way that they just were around each other, I came back to my relationship and I, I was like, I'm sillier and I'm like, you know, making up songs and just like being silly and like playing game making up games all the time and it just was because I was around one of my couple crushes who was like really good at just being themselves and seeing each other and like yes anding each other and I brought that back to my relationship I think was really cool so I think anybody can take that and it yeah it's just what you said you articulated what I was trying to ask about so beautifully about just being yourselves and like seeing each other for themselves yeah just like don't don't be so hard on yourself. We, I have these slippers that I, they have soles on the bottom of them. So sometimes if I put them on in the house, I have, I was saying like right before we went out somewhere, I was like, you know, Andrew was here and then another friend of mine, Mallory. And I was like, okay, sometimes when I have these slippers on, I almost leave the house with them because they feel like shoes. So don't let me do that. And then we all forgot. And I, had never done that but then (laughs) somehow got in the car and I didn't realize until we got to the it was like a birthday party at a bar and I got out of the car and I screamed and they all thought that like I don't know like an animal thing and and then I just started hysterically laughing and they're like what and I was like I left the house in the slippers my god and then I you know after I was laughing I had an insecure moment where I was like we have to go back I have to put shoes on I can't go out in public like this and then I had a moment to myself where I was like why can't you who cares yeah and I went into this very crowded bar on like (laughs) Saturday night with slippers on because who cares yes and it's funny and I you know if first of all no one noticed, which is a great lesson in life in general. And second of all, when I did mention it, I it was a great laugh. Like, who cares? Just don't be so serious all the time. Yes. Oh my gosh. I that I love that so much. I feel like I did the same thing recently. My best friend Amanda is another person I can just like totally be myself around and I have this thing where I'm constantly freezing. I actually think it's a hypo it's like a thyroid thing actually. But I we went to a movie and I it was when it was still warmer out here and I had Birkenstocks on but I brought 
socks with me and a bunch of snacks and this like huge backpack and I was wearing like the socks with the Birkenstocks and like an unmatched outfit and like we ended up seeing like all these people we knew and she was like insta-storing me from behind or snapchatting back then and it was just so funny but it totally reminds me of that story and sometimes it's just like it actually felt good because I was like yep I'm completely myself right now and it feels fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, we're always afraid that people are going to, like, make fun of us or whatever. But it's, like, actually, if you just own it first, they can't. Yeah, exactly. So just, like, just, like, be, just accept it and, and like, own up to all of your stuff and yeah. don't be so on yourself and be like, yeah, this is me. Yeah. If you're just, this is me, then someone can't be like, this is her. <laughs> it's yeah. like, guess what? She already put that out there. Exactly. Yeah. If you're just tuning in now, basically just wear your slippers to the bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. Quick fire questions and then we'll tie this up in a bow. It's been so long, but I it's flown by for me. So, okay. So just kind of say the first thing that comes to your mind and, and we'll run through some of these questions. So okay. what are your morning routines? Like the first few things you do when you get up in the morning? I get up. I put the hot water kettle on I let my dog outside I make matcha tea and then I come in my like office area and I do my I light a candle I do my morning affirmations and I now I have my mandala which if if people do Lois and the Lily that'll make more sense um it's like a spiritual vision board and then I journal that's what I do first every morning cool I love that and then you do your oh. TM after that? No, I was going to say, I wake up and I immediately do, do TM before I even leave the room. Oh, cool. Do you do it right in your bed? Uh-huh. And then I do all of that other stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm always curious, like, how, when people do the TM, if it's, like, before or after other stuff. Or... What about in the evening? When do you, what are, like, the last few things you do before you go to bed and things to do to relax and wind down? Um, I... I like taking a bath. I take a lot of baths and I, um, maybe I don't need to say this, but sometimes I feel guilty because we have a drought, but uh, the reason I don't feel guilty is because I don't eat animal products and they take up more water than, like one hamburger is like 37 showers, I think, something like that. So I'm like, I get to take a bath. Yeah, you earned it. (laughs) We all, we're all doing our part. Um, I usually take a bath, I'll wash my face and, um, I'll read a little bit, but actually to like go to sleep, I, uh, and I'm, I almost touched on this when we were talking, but I listened to hypnosis and I went to this woman who it's like custom hypnosis. Um, so beyond all the therapy and everything, I, I went to a hypnotist to also help with like major issues I have gone in the past for like an eating disorder and it's the only thing that undid it I um have one for like auditioning I have one for um dealing with people uh who uh my family has some interesting characters so I have one that's basically a helps me to be non-reactive like you know you can't argue with a crazy person if somebody is saying like 
you know, the sky is green and you're like, oh my God, the sky is blue. Right. It's not worth your time. You're not going to change that person's mind and it's pointless and it's exhausting. So don't do it. Just don't engage in someone who is arguing over something for no reason. Um, that can also help with things like on Facebook and stuff. But So I have a hypnosis for that. And then I have a hypnosis that's just like about um, honestly like loving myself more and, and my self-worth and like uh, just being my own person and doing my own thing. <laughs> that's so cool. I want to go to this hypnosis person. That is so it's cool. Incredible. She like you basically like talk for hours and she takes notes and she makes a track that is in your own personal cool. dialogue so it speaks to your brain better and cool. it really undoes stuff and then I listen to it to go to sleep it also just puts you to sleep so it kind of helps with any sort of it used to take me like an hour or more to fall asleep so that now I'm asleep within 20 minutes oh I love that that is so cool favorite fruit and favorite vegetable Hmm. My favorite fruit. Oh, that's hard. I think it changes a lot, but I. I really like bananas. I th I'm just trying to think. Like, yeah, because if I I like them by themselves, I like them. Peanut butter banana toast. I like. Mm, so good. Banana cream pie. I like banana bread. So probably banana because if I. Trying to think of other Very fruits. Very versatile. Good in a smoothie. I would do all those things with. I don't know if I would. You know, like if there was a banana cream pie and a blueberry pie, I would definitely want the banana cream pie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of blueberries, but I can see that choice. What about <laughs> vegetable? I think my favorite vegetable is broccoli. Mm. I know that might be weird, but I really love it. No, it's a good one. How, what's your favorite way to eat broccoli? Just steamed or? Yeah, I normally just steam it. I like when a restaurant does like if they can like roast it. Yeah. Uh, that's really good. But I'm not so good at roasting things. I feel like I burn. I know. Off. There's like a window. It's like not <laughs> yeah. cooked enough and then burnt. Yeah. And like the little flowery parts are all crispy. Burnt. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have the same problem. What's your favorite place to eat in L.A. and New York, if you have one? Um, probably either in L.A., I'd, I'd say it's like Crossroads and Cafe Gratitude or Gracias Madre. Um, so good. Yeah. And then in New York, I discovered Beyond Sushi. Have you been oh, there? Yeah, no, I, I haven't been yet, but I've I've heard about it, and I really want to go. It's pretty incredible. Um, I haven't been able to explore a ton in New York, but and then there was a place. Oh shoot, there's a place in Brooklyn that does like vegan crepes. Ooh, crepes. yeah. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it was so good. They have like savory and sweet. I think Ooh. if you looked up vegan crepes yeah you could give that a google pretty easy cool yeah. that's really cool um what is well you are really great at freestyle rapping is that a skill that you developed is when did you start doing that 
Um, I don't know why I can do that, and I've just always been able to do it. And I just think I've done it to entertain myself for a long time, and I didn't realize that I could actually, like, perform doing that. Um, I, I didn't realize it could be, like, a performance thing until I started doing, like, comedy rap battles. And then... I very recently realized that I could do like a solo act with it, like on a stand-up show. Um, but yeah, and the more I do it, the better I get at it, um, especially with the improvisation of it, like the story of it. Like, because I'll do, I'll take one-word suggestions and stuff, and then make a story out of it through rap. Um, yeah, and that's just like. Definitely the more I do it, the better I get. And I don't know. I don't know why I can do it. I've never taken a class. I've never, like, <laughs> I just would, I don't know. Maybe that's part of being an only child. I just have, like, <laughs> I would just do that. It just was fun for me. And, yeah, I'm just always glad and grateful and slightly surprised that anyone thinks it's entertaining. <laughs> That's amazing. I did not get that skill as an only child. I wish that I had. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up with pets? You have an adorable dog, Archie, and I've heard you talk in another podcast with Malls about some really great dog advice, but if you could boil down, you know, just, like, what having Archie has meant for you and, like, what advice you would give to someone, you know, considering getting a dog, maybe. Yeah, um... Animals have always been in my life. My parents trained racehorses when I was growing up. And so there's just everything was always animals to some degree. And we had dogs too. We had Jack Russell Terriers. And then growing up, I had a rabbit. I had a Rottweiler. I had a lizard. I had a cat. I've had a few cats. Um, I Then we lived on a farm at one point and we had some goats. And uh, I'm trying to think of did I have any other animal. Oh, I had guinea pigs. I had guinea pigs, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Archie is like the first dog that was just completely mine. I got him on my own. And I had two other dogs as an adult with a past uh, boyfriend, which that was a fun experience. But uh, I guess my first dog advice would be like, don't get a dog with someone mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you're, like, really, really sure that you're, like, I don't know, life partners. Um, and, you know, I got Archie. I actually was in a relationship, but because of the relationship before that, and I I lost the dogs in that relationship. I actually chose to lose them. It was, like, a thing that I decided with my therapist that I had to shut that door that was also implant guy. And it was like, mm. I didn't want to have a constant open doorway into my life till the end of time. Yeah, that was and, smart. Yeah, it was an extremely hard decision. And a lot of people criticized me like, I can't believe you'd give up your dog. And mm. it's just like, all right, everybody. And the dog had another, uh, we there was another dog and I didn't want to separate them and I couldn't take two dogs and they loved each other. And he was a very good, capable um, dog owner. You know, they were in really good hands. Like, he's very, very, very good with dogs. So that's the other thing. Um, So my first dog advice would be 
don't get a dog with someone unless you're like, really, don't be just dating. <laughs> and, um, and if you do get a dog while you're in a relationship, like when I got Archie, I spelled it out. I was like, this is my dog. If anything should happen, this is my dog. Um, you're welcome to love him and you know, you can be a part of his life. But in the end, like this is my dog period. I never let that last boyfriend pay for anything with Archie. Like, you know, just like make clean and clear. This is my dog. I'm paying for everything for this dog, vet bills, food, everything just so that there's no confusion here. Um, and that might sound like cold like a prenup can sound cold but I think it's actually pretty important so at the end there was no there was no mistake or misunderstanding like that was my dog and um and Archie I think you know being my first dog that was just mine there's definitely a different bond there he's also my first puppy and I do think that I think you know you need to have different experiences in life. I've had adult dogs before him and they were wonderful, but there definitely is a different bond between you and a puppy when you get to like really raise a puppy. And I think, you know, there are, I'm definitely a fan of going and adopting. And I will say there were a ton of puppies in the shelters that I saw too. Like you can get an adult dog or a puppy, but don't get a puppy if you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I, the bond of a puppy is not worth um, risking if you're never around to be with that puppy. <laughs> it's like, don't do it. They're going to be a nightmare later. Um, I just, I got a puppy when I was unemployed and I just put so much time into training him and I read a lot of books and I think that's why he's such a good dog. But yeah, you got to have a lot of time if you're going to get a puppy. I mean, if you're going to get a dog, period, make sure you have the time but or the resources to have them walked or something. But um, he's definitely changed my life for the better. There's just no – the bond is just inexplicable. I guess the only other thing that could come close to it is eventually someday when I have a baby. But And I think the biggest thing, if you're going to get a dog, or even if you have a dog, is remember that it's a dog. Don't treat it like a human. And that doesn't mean not loving them, but I think I see so many dogs that are so badly behaved because we put our own baggage onto the dog. Mm. <laughs> That's not, the dog is not a baby. The dog is a dog, and a dog reacts very differently than humans do to many situations. And you can have a structure, and you can have a schedule, and, you know, dogs thrive and are much more secure when there is actually like discipline and a schedule. A schedule makes them feel very secure and you know someone who's in charge makes them feel very secure and that doesn't mean that you're like mean or yelling at your dog or like being this this like dictator or like I don't know scolding or like hitting your dog. It just means like you know, it's like a parent, you know, mom's in charge, dad's in charge, and the kid knows that. You know, yeah. Same with the dog. Totally. Such good advice. 
as everything you've said. Okay, so last little bit, I'm taking like eight questions and putting them into one. Basically, the purpose of this is for you to just recommend things, like first thing that comes to your mind. So I'll just fire off the categories. Cool? Okay. Yes. Okay, book. You already kind of gave one, Lotus and the Lily, but do you want to give another one maybe? Lotus and the Lily and um, uh, the wind-up bird from um, Murakami. Oh, cool. I haven't heard of that. What about movie? Either something that you love or that you've seen recently. You can give a couple if you want. Um, let's see. Old old movie, just my childhood favorite is Singing in the Rain. Mm. It's just silly and fun. And I think, uh, I think, oh, it's so dark and, and, but it's so good. I think everyone should see Elle. Elle? Um, yeah. It's out, it, it was just out this year and the lead actress just won a Golden Globe. She's incredible. Oh, cool. It's a French movie. It's so good. Cool. Oh, I think I saw a trailer for that recently. But let me just say, if anyone listening has been, um, if you've been, um, uh, if you've been like attacked or, or raped, just know that it's a, it could be a trigger movie. Mm. I really think they should have said that at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> just in case, um, because it's yeah. I just think it could be triggering if somebody has um, been attacked. Glad you said that. Good yeah. point. Uh, what about a heroine? Someone that another female that you want to shout out. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. There's so many really incredible women. I'm trying to think, like, who is... Hmm. Well, I mean, I was trying to think outside of my box, but the first person who keeps popping in my mind is Rashida Jones, who I'm on a show with. Um... She's really incredible and just like definitely a a friend to women and not afraid to speak her mind and speak up for people who have a great deal of injustice in the world and she's just like always striving to do her part and be mm. better and she's really smart and she's very funny and she's very kind. Mm. Um, so definitely Rashida and I'm just trying to think if there's somebody that's um, great that she's she seems all of those things and it's so great mm -hmm. that she's the real deal and actually is it's always so great to hear that yeah oh and the other person sometimes I have a hard time uh, with quick questions yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the okay. person actually um, is Heather Graham I you know she was on our show and she I've never met somebody who is that famous, who is just so incredibly warm and kind, and you would never think that she was that famous. You know what I mean? Just like, it's just such a very genuine person who really connects and really listens and is really interested in other people and is is so happy to listen to them and is like, I don't know if this makes sense, but like somebody who's really listening and yeah. she's not looking around the room to see who oh, else. Oh, I is know exactly what I mean. Yeah. She had asked, you know, Andrew and I how we met and I was telling her the story and it's like, 
it can be kind of long. So I just kind of very quickly summarized and she was like, and then what? Like Mm. she actually wanted to hear more. And I was just so surprised by that. And she's just like a very kind person. And, um, yeah, I think it's pretty rare when someone is that famous to be that warm and open and listen. That's so great. I love that. What about song or music? Anything that you want to recommend there? Um, right now to like work out and stuff, I've been listening to Run the Jewels 3, um, which is just such a fun album. Cool. Um, if you look it up on Spotify, the cover is like kind of blue with a gold thing on it. And um, Angel Olsen is really good. Oh, yeah. I just discovered her recently. I really love that. Uh, I forget what the album is called. Be Mine or something? Um, or The Intern? I think it's called The Intern. I don't know. That's a really great album. Cool. What about podcasts? Do you listen to any other podcasts? Anything that you like and want to recommend? Yeah. I admittedly don't listen to as many as most people. I'm more of a I listen to music in the car, but um, I really like uh, Hollywood Handbook. They're just so silly. Talk about being silly. Um, and uh, oh my gosh, the best podcast that I've listened to recently is um, Malcolm Gladwell's oh, Revenge. It's so good. History. So good. Incredible. So good. Yeah, so, so good. What about food? Something that you've eaten recently that like you really loved or something that you want to recommend to people to try to eat or make? Anything in that category? Um, I'm a huge fan of vegan mac and cheese. <laughs> do you make I, a good one? I can make a really good one. I do like a baked one that's kind of like an, a version of an old family recipe and for that I'll like soak cashews overnight yeah. and then I will blend them then you pour out the water and then you blend them with like lemon nutritional yeast salt pepper um onion garlic and I think that's about it that, that sounds the- delicious I would love to come over and have some of that <laughs> And then you can always mix in some um, follow your heart cheddar, some shreds, broccoli in there, and some broccoli. Yeah, really That'd be good, real good. Oh, I love that. What's your favorite part of your life right now? If you had to pick something, hmm, I think my uh, spiritual journey that I'm on, which mm. is all that self work that I was talking about. I feel like it's never ending, and it, I'm tapping into it more and more, and like becoming more in touch with I don't know I always feel like oh god people are gonna think I'm so crazy but like my spiritual guides I'm much more in touch with them to the point where I can go like I can ask a question and uh get the answer (laughs) cool yeah super intuitive yes and no questions just like you know yeah Mm -hmm. well this is sorry this is a huge question I'm like really trying to wrap up but what I want to know, you know, like you're somebody asked me last night at dinner, they were like, why are you constantly searching and like into this spiritual stuff that I'm so into? And the answer that I gave was that I'm just trying to be better at 
being myself and being more intuitive because I feel best when I'm feeling like I'm guided and things have meaning. It makes me feel better. What would you say to that question? And like, what do you think? Why do you think we're here? And what does this all mean? And what do you think happens when we die? That sort of huge question. Like, why are you so fascinated with the things that we both seem to be fascinated with? Um, I'm sure originally it's to sort of make sense of all the pain that I've had in life. Um, but then once you move beyond that, I think I, it's really just like, I mean, I am just genuinely interested in it. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel happy and it makes me a better person, not only for myself, but for other people when I am pursuing and working on and in tune with my self-growth and spirituality, I am just much more happy and pleasant and I don't, you know, especially in this industry, it's like I could think that I'm in competition with everybody and I'm against everybody and and then that would make me jealous of other women and then I wouldn't be nice to them and then they wouldn't be nice to me and it's just this nonstop snowball Whereas if you are really in touch with the bigger picture and you can kind of see out beyond, I actually talked to this woman recently who is like a medium for your guides, for your spirit guides. Cool. They told me that they, I mean, this is sort of bad, but they see like seven mountains, which is like representative of the next seven years and that the social there will be a social collective anxiety, which we already feel. Mm -hmm. And to remember that that anxiety is not my own personally. Like I don't need to hold everyone's anxiety. And it doesn't mean not caring about what's happening right now. It means, and I think this is a good image for a lot of people to take with you and you can apply it to almost every situation. But if something's happening and you are let's say there are all these there's like all these mountains in a row if you're down at the bottom in the valley between two mountains and you're so overwhelmed by everything all you can see around you is like i don't know how i'm going to get out of here this is awful nothing's right you can't see beyond the cuz you have a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other side so you're you can't actually see past anything and you're completely drowning in your stress and anxiety right yeah but if climb up to the top of the mountain you can see farther beyond so you go oh okay I see that there are a bunch of mountains ahead of me but I can see clearly that I have to go down this one and up the next one and down this one and then just farther there there's a clear there's a flat plane so I can see it ahead but if you can't climb up to the mountaintop of your consciousness you can't see out beyond and you can't calm yourself and you can't deal with anything because you're so bogged down in the stress and overwhelmed when you're like down in that valley. Yeah. And that's honestly, that metaphor that she gave me is probably the best metaphor to explain why I do all this work because I think when you don't do all this work on yourself, and you don't have some sort of like your own personal spirituality. I mean, you don't need to like call it God or anything or, you know, I really, 
I actually really don't like religion. It makes me pretty angry. <laughs> but I'm very spiritual. But if you can have that that sort of mentality and outlook and not allow yourself to be completely drowning in the valley and all you see around you are these tall mountains. Yeah. You know, you need to be able to see out beyond. And that and that's what I think this work does. Yeah. Wow, I learned so much from this conversation. There was so much value from that and everything else that you said. I love you. You're just real cool. I'm having a moment like you had with Heather Graham of just, wow, you're cooler and just as sweet and nice and spent all this time with me. So thank you so much. This was this was a blast. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. This was like the best. Um, I think you're just like an incredible interviewer. This was such an amazing conversation. Oh I'm my like, gosh. do you live in New York? No, well, not not right now. I live in Detroit. You should come visit. Oh. Have you ever been? No. I wish you lived in L.A. I know. I was just there. My best friend, Amanda, who I mentioned earlier, moved there. And I was just there last week. And I'll be back, like, in February. So maybe we can hang out and, like, get yeah. a meal or something. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. I'm, I want you to be my friend. Yes. Oh, my God. Me, too. We could talk like this all the time. I just, the entire time, I was like, oh, no. I bet she has to go or has to go to the bathroom. I felt so bad taking up all your time. And anyway, but this was so great. Yeah, we should totally hang out when next time I'm in town. And it would, that would be amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Oh, last question. The name of this podcast is Let It Out. Is there anything else that you want to let out that you're pondering or wondering or wished I would have asked you anything? I don't think so. You did such a good job. Very thorough. I kind of wrung you dry with everything. I'm sure there's actually a lot more within there, but I feel like... Oh, yeah. The only other thing I'll say is just a fun little jewel, but that woman that I talked to who speaks to your guide. Her name is Carolyn Swift Jones and she is incredible. And you can go to the guiding com, I guess, and you can like get an appointment. You can only talk to her once a year and there's probably like oh, wow. a six month waiting list. And I will say, I just remembered you asked me like, what do I think when we die and whatever? I yeah. Know what the answer is, but I know I just had a reading with her like this month and my dad has been dead for 10 years and he came through for the first time and delivered all of these incredible messages that were so specific. There's no way she's not a psychic. She's a, she's not telling you what's going to happen, but he told her like such specific things like the exact dates that my parents were together. And she was like, he's telling me this date to this date. What does that mean? And I'm like, Oh my God, that's the date. Wow. And like, all of this incredible stuff. So, and he he sent me a message saying like that he's sorry that he had to go so soon, mm. but that please know that two souls on different planes can often achieve more together than they could in on the same plane like in life. And he also told me that he's with my mom and to stop worrying about her and I was like, "Oh, that's so funny. She she said that she can feel his presence sometimes and he was like she better be able to feel it I'm with her all the time she makes me want to pull her my hair out like definitely I mean you guys don't know what my dad was like but I was like oh my god that's definitely 
So it was really incredible. So I do think that, you know, I don't know what happens when we die, but I know that experience and that's really all I can speak to. And I'm like, oh, wow, like his spirit is is not gone. And he's like one of my spirit guides now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're so on the same page with that. I do you ever listen to or read Abraham Hicks? Oh, yeah. 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 They I mean, they have the concept of like where we go when we die is kind of, you know, all love. It's like all good and we kind of go back into that that goodness and anyway, yeah, I just want to hang out with you all the time cuz I feel like we could talk about this sort of thing which is like my favorite thing to talk about and I don't know. I had the right before I was talking to you, I was recording the intro to next week's episode, which is I had a psychic and medium. Actually, I found him through Alexi's podcast and he did Ma's podcast as well. And he did like a reading on me. And I love this sort of thing. Like I'm going to go to Carolyn Swift Jones website right after this. And I just think it's fun to talk about this stuff. I think it's great to have information about yourself not to like you know be a victim of any of it but just to learn and to grow and I don't know I it's this is like all my favorite things that we were talking about so thank you again (laughs) yeah thank you they're all my favorite things too this has been so fun all right that was my conversation with Andre isn't she amazing thank you so much for listening and if you are still listening now to me rambling I'm going to tell you the emoji for the episode. So here's the emoji. Well, wait. Actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about RememberFreshBooks.com. We love FreshBooks in this family. They are the easy-to-use online cloud accounting software. Again, we love them, so if you want to try them, get that free 30-day trial, unrestricted 30-day trial, FreshBooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Okay. Now, drum roll please. The emoji for this episode is the cake emoji, and here's why. No, I don't mean the slice of cake. That one is garbage. I mean the one that looks like a birthday cake. It's way cuter, it's white, I love that one. It has like little candles on it. It's a a very beautiful emoji. Anyway, that's the emoji because I intuitively baked a cake this weekend, you guys. And let me tell you, this cake was lit. It somehow tasted delicious. I just really just got creative in the kitchen. And it was I don't think that's really what you're supposed to do with baking, but that's what I did. And I made this really healthy, beautiful chocolate cake. And I shared it and it was amazing. And I'm actually getting a little bit sad that A I don't have it and B I didn't make a recipe, so I have no idea if I'll ever be able to create it again. But Maybe that's the thing about intuitive baking. You're just meant to enjoy it in the moment and not worry about if you can ever recreate it. I highly suggest it. Anyway, tweet at us the cake emoji if you are still listening to my late night rambles at this point. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Let us know if you have any questions. Andre is available on Twitter. So am I. I'm at Katie Dilbao and she has her name as well, which I will link in the show notes. I love you guys. And good night, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Okay, bye.